morning, Antioch Brighton. I'm Clark Zombreaker, and I get to be the director of ministry here at Antioch Brighton. And this morning we are starting a new series entitled Courageous Generosity. If you know God, then you know that no one is more generous than God. And nowhere is this scene more clear than in his extravagant gift of his son Jesus, who, who died on the cross in order to reconcile um, his enemies to himself. And so we believe it's God's desire that Antioch Brighton would be a reflection of the generosity, the courageous generosity that exists in God's heart. And he wants to build in us a culture of courageous generosity. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning and the next few weeks. And we are going to be uh, taking a little stroll through the book of Deuteronomy in this series. Now, Deuteronomy is a, it's an Old Testament book. And you might be wondering, what in the world does this, you know, thousand-year-old Middle Eastern Old Covenant book have to do with us, have to teach us about courageous generosity? Um, and I hope that in a few weeks, you'll be able to answer that question. <laughs> so... Um, let's do a little refresher or a fresher for some of you on the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy is the last of the first five books of the Old Testament. And why the reason I say it's the last of the first five is because the first five books of the Old Testament is referred to as the law. Matter of fact, Deuteronomy, the, the word Deuteronomy means second law. And the reason this book is called second law is because it records the second, uh, a second time when the law was given. So God gave Israel this law that was uh, part of their covenant with him when he delivered them out of slavery from Egypt. And in Deuteronomy, Moses is giving this law a second time, but this time it's to the children. It's to a new generation. It's the children of those who've been delivered from slavery in Egypt. So you, you may remember that, that when God delivered Israel out of Egypt, it was just an 11-day journey um, to the land that God had prepared for them, that he had promised for them. But it turned out to be a 40-year season of wandering, all because Israel was unwilling to trust in God's goodness. So once everyone who, who refused to trust God eventually died, it was about 40 years later, God said, all right, it's time to receive the promise that I have for you. And so now this, this group of Israelites consists of the grown-up children of those who've been uh, slaves in Egypt. And so this second generation needed to, be, needed to be taught about God's covenant. They needed to, to be reminded and taught again of here is the law. Here's the covenant that God made with your, your, your mothers and fathers. Um, Therefore, we have this book, The Second Law. So, in chapters 1 through 7 of Deuteronomy, it's basically, it's a, it's a, Moses is giving uh, a review of Israel's journey from Mount Sinai, the place where God brought Israel to worship him after being delivered out of Egypt, and where God made a covenant with them and gave them the law. And then, um, after this review, he we, we go to chapter 8, and that's where we're going to be reading from today. So I'm going to read um, verses 1 through 10 from chapter 8. This is the New Living Translation. 
Be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you today. Then you will live and multiply and you will enter and occupy the land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. For all these 40 years, your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not blister or swell. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. So obey the, the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and hills. It is a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. It is a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It is a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is as abundant, is abundant in the hills. And when you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. All right, that is, that, that's our passage this morning. And, and we're going to take just a little stroll through a few of the verses, most of the verses, to, to unpack a little bit of what, what is happening, what is going on, what Moses is communicating, what he's wanting the Israelites to hear and understand. And so here we go. Verse 1, Moses said, be careful to obey all the commands that I'm giving you today. Then you'll live and multiply and you'll enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. So have you ever received a gift or maybe bought something that was previously owned by someone else and um, the instruction manual didn't come with it? And because of that, you weren't really sure what you're supposed to do with it. Like you couldn't quite figure it out. Well, so one of one of our our children's happiest places on earth is their uh, Natalie's parents house in in Fort Worth Texas and we affectionately refer to their house as Camp Gramps um, I remember one year they when uh, our oldest who's 11 now Sammy he was probably two Natalie's parents were given this 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 toy that I guess another family didn't need anymore but it was kind of like a little rocking horse sort of um, but not really and basically it had these cables that you would connect to your TV and then it would show like a scene on the television and as the kid rode the horse you the kid could jump over obstacles move around things anyway the only problem was it didn't come with an instruction manual and so I remember trying to figure out how to use this thing and I could not figure it out whatsoever and I didn't have much luck looking on the internet so basically this toy they still have it and it's it's just we never figured out how to use it and it's remained to be kind of a somewhat below average rocking horse well here's the deal god loved his people israel so much and he was so passionately committed to their well-being and so committed to their ability to fully enjoy the gift that he had for them that he gave the gift 
when he gave them the gift, he also gave them an instruction manual. And that was his law. It was a manual that if followed, it would enable them to get everything possible out of the land that he was providing for them. And so in this verse, Moses is saying, follow the instruction manual and you will experience all that God has for you. Because their, their ancestors, their fathers and mothers did not follow the instruction manual and they didn't even get to set foot in the land. All right, so let's look at the next verse. Moses is asking them to remember something. He says, remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. So Moses is saying, remember something, Israel. There was a very important lesson that God had taught Israel when they were in the wilderness. And it was a lesson on reality. He, it says that he humbled them. Now, being humbled means a give, being given an opportunity to see yourself accurately. Okay, that's all humility is. That's why God loves humility, is because it is reality. It's seeing yourself accurately. Um, so when you are humbled, it, it, it's like getting a re receiving a reality check. Pride, on the other hand, is incredibly deceptive and destructive. So imagine you, you have a good friend who wakes up tomorrow and decides that they're a billionaire. But you know that they really only have about $200 in their bank account. But they decide, hey, I'm a billionaire and I am going to, I'm going to live like a billionaire today. And they go out and they're spending all this money, but they're using their credit card. Wouldn't you want to give them a reality check? I mean, if you love them, wouldn't you say, dude, don't do that. You are not a billionaire. Come back to reality. So in a sense, this is what God's doing. And you, the, the wonderful thing about humility is that it enables us to live within the boundaries of God's grace for us. So here's, here's one of the main lessons that God was teaching Israel. He says in verse 3, Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hung, hungry and feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So here's how this lesson went that God was teaching Israel in the wilderness. God allowed them to run out of food. Okay. Now, as they grew hungry in the absence of food, what were they going to do? How would they respond? Would they say, hey, guys, we're hungry, but God's going to provide for us. Or were they going to respond by saying, everybody panic. Well, if you're familiar with the story, you know that's how they responded. They were unwilling to trust in God's goodness. And despite this, despite their complaining and their accusations of God, God still provided food for them miraculously. He provided this mysterious substance called manna. And Moses is, is saying that God was teaching them a lesson. And it, this lesson was one that would set them up for success in the land that he was bringing them to. And here's the lesson. Moses states what the lesson was in this verse. He says, the lesson is that man doesn't live on bread alone, but, on, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Imagine most of us are familiar with this verse. Um, and if we remove this verse from its con surrounding context, 
it, 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 it could be, we could interpret this verse as saying, you know, in the same way that we need physical food for life, we also need spiritual food, right? So, in other words, we need God's word, the word that comes from his mouth. Now, this is a true statement. Jesus' words, God's words are spirit and they are life. And to truly live, we require the spiritual food. However, when we look at this verse within its context, the verse is not talking about spiritual food. It's talking about literal food. The problem is that Israel did not have literal food. And the word that this verse is referring to that came from God's mouth was that that, that creative power uh, that God had that enabled him to create food out of nothing, physical food out of nothing, the manna to feed Israel. Very similar to how in Genesis, God's creative word was able to create matter, create existence out of nothing. And so the lesson was that even though Israel did not have food in the wilderness, everything was going to be okay because they had the Father with them. And so the lesson was trying to teach Israel that their source of life was not food, but their source of life was their Father who provided the food, who's able to provide food. And so verse 5 goes on to, to say that, that God was teaching them as a loving Father, and that He was teaching them for their own good. It was for their good that they would comprehend this truth. Um, now, how is it for, for their own good that they, they were able to grasp this truth? Well, if they were able to understand that their lives depended not on food or not on the material provision, but actually on the one who provided those things, it would set them up for life and success in the land they were going to. In verse 7, it says this. It says, it describes how God was bringing them into a land that was abundant. There were streams, there were pools, there were fountains, there was uh, fruitful trees, there was barley, grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, honey. There was, it says that there was nothing lacking in this land. It says that there was iron, there was, uh, there were uh, copper. So basically the land was so incredibly abundant that if they went into this land and they hadn't settled the issue in their heart of who or what was their source of life, was it the, the, the land, was it the fruit on the trees, the food, or was it their heavenly Father? If they did not understand and settle this lesson in their hearts, things would go very badly for Israel. And we're going to look into that a little bit closer next week. But the, the, the land was so abundant that it had the power to destroy them if they forgot where the abundance came from and where the real provision was. So as much as God loved Israel and he was giving this land this incredible land to them, this incredible provision to provide for their needs and just to bless them. There is another purpose for this abundance in their lives. And, and we read it here in verse 10. God says, when you've eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land 
he's given you. So, Moses is saying, hey, when you're satisfied, when your needs have been met, don't just roll over and go to sleep. You know, he's saying, he's saying, after you're satisfied, after you've eaten your fill, be sure that you make the connection in your mind between the abundant provisions and God's abundant goodness towards you. And let it move you to a place of praise. Let it move you towards God. Let it, let it move you towards connection with Him in worship. And so, to put it another way, the way I like to see it, Moses is, Moses is saying, allow this provision to serve as a leverage in your relationship with God. Let it be something that influences you, that moves you, that propels you towards God. To, that it moves you to a deeper place of relationship with Him. So, I can think of, you know, how uh, Natalie and I, when sometimes, you know, we might want to take our kids out to a, a restaurant that they really enjoy. And there's a couple of reasons why we might want to do that. One is that we love our kids and we want to meet their need. We're committed to meeting their needs for food. And so that, that's one reason why we might take them to a restaurant. Another way is that we just love them and we just want to bless them. We, we just want to, to, to see them be happy and, and see them enjoy life. Um, but there's another, there's another desire that we have, and that desire is for connection with our kids. We have a desire to connect with them. And we know that, that when our kids view this abundant meal, you know, at, in a pickle or not your average Joe's, that that when they're able to see it as an expression of mom and dad's love for them, and they choose to say, thank you, mom. Thank you, dad. You're the best mom and daddy ever. When they do that, it facilitates a connection between us and them. And that's what our hearts want. And it's it's not because we're trying to feel good about ourselves. We're trying to prop up our self-esteem and feel like we're good parents. Um, no, it's it's that we love them and we desire a connection with our kids. And so, let me ask this question that that I asked earlier: Is what does this three thousand year old passage have to do with us today? I hope that you've already kind of are getting an idea. So in the same way that it was important for Israel's relationship with God, that they understood that life didn't come from food, but from the one who provided the food, it's just as important for us. So are we convinced that we have a loving Father who's with us and He provides for us? When a pandemic stri strikes, when we're out of food, when when circumstances turn, take a turn for the worse, when our finances take a hit, what do we say? Do we say, hey, don't worry. Dad's got this. Our Heavenly Father is going to provide. Or do we say, everybody panic. So in no way do I want to make light of financial struggles. Um, Natalie and I have experienced financial struggles, and we know it's real, it's not fun, it's, it's not a laughing matter. Um, and I know that, that some of you, some of, some of you in our, our church body have experienced financial difficulty as a result 
of this pandemic. And I wouldn't want to try to encourage you to deny your reality. Um, when the Israelites were out of food, they were really out of food. That was reality. But it wasn't all of reality. It was a, a very small sliver of reality. It was a zoomed in myopic view of reality. Had, had the Israelites been willing to pan out a bit and view all of reality, they would have seen that, yes, we're out of food, but also the God of Genesis 1 and 2 who created existence with his word. He's with us and he's for us. Here's another question, I think, that relates to us from this passage. Are we allowing his provision in our life to propel us into a deeper connection with him? And when I say provision, I'm not talking about the gravy in life. I'm not talking about the bonus. I'm talking about everything from the breath that's in your lungs right now to the money that's in your bank account and everything in between. That is provision. Everything that we have in life. The what maybe the one pair of of pants that you own. Or maybe it's the the roller skates that you used to get to work. That's God's provision. And for us to be a people of courageous generosity, for Antioch Brighton to be to have a culture of courageous generosity, we've got to be convinced that ultimately it's not our paychecks, it's not our job, it's not the economy that provides for us, but it is our Heavenly Father. And we don't live by bread only, but we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's what I'm going to leave us with. And I, I just want to bless you, Antioch, to be courageously generous this week and to to know that God's abundant provision um, is with you. And may you use it this week to propel you forward in your relationship with Him. Bless you, Antioch.